we just want to welcome you. We're glad you're here. We're glad we're under the word of God, where we belong, where we can be taught and encouraged, and uh, just all things made right in our hearts. Well, this morning we're going to be going normally right line by line and verse by verse through Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22, but in just preparation of preparing our hearts, right, as we go through this very beautiful passage on marriage. How about it, right? We need guidance and a good word from the Lord on the strength of marriage and how to live a godly marriage. And even if you're single here this morning, please don't forget, you are wed to Jesus Christ. There is a covenant that exists. So this passage is very much for you as well, okay? But in preparation, I'd like you to please turn to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 9, and we're going to do something we haven't done Well, I don't know how many months. I don't count. But if you feel able to stand, I'm going to encourage you to stand, and we're going to do a responsive reading. Yeah, it's been a while since we've done that. We're going to go verses 1 through 9, and I'm going to uh, start with the... Well, you know what? We'll begin in verses 9. Sorry, we'll go 9 through 18. I'm going to change it. We'll go 9 through 18. I'll start with verse 9. You guys pick up with verse 10, and we'll go all the way to verse 18, okay? Let's first bow our heads, and then we'll begin. Father, we thank you that you've brought us here this morning, that we together, Lord, gathered as worshipers to you, Jesus Christ. You alone, Father, our our hearts belong. There is no other. We will bow before no other. Lord, in the days ahead, and Lord, should you tarry another day, God, We ask for your strength. We ask for your leading guidance. We pray that our eyes would be open to see and our ears to hear, Lord, what your spirit has to say. And God, we just, we pray ultimately that you, Lord, are just glorified and magnified, not only in our hearts today, but in the hearts of every single person in your creation that you've created to desire relationship. So we go before, Lord, and ask and pray in your will that many will come to Christ today. Many will know you. Lord, such a short time we have on this earth to prepare for a very long time in the eternity that awaits us. Do a work in our hearts here today. We ask this in your holy name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people prayed. Amen. Amen. All right, I'll begin in verse 9 and we'll all the way to verse 18 of Colossians chapter 1. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and longsuffering with joy. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. He is the image of the invisible God. Pay attention to that, please. The firstborn over all creation. Thank you. 
And he is before all things, in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the Amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. Thank you. This is good preparation, the preeminence of Jesus Christ. In him all things were created, and by him all things were created for his glory. And what we saw in that passage and getting our hearts prepared for the passage we're going to be in today is the preeminence of Jesus Christ, the preeminence of God, right at the forefront, that we may have the right heart to receive God's word here this morning with the right heart. Amen? That's our goal. That's our, our aim. So, our, our passage this morning is meant to establish, if I can begin to say it that way, the, the proper order of marriage. I don't want to just jump into the text on marriage. Some of you may never have read, you know, expositionally through the scriptures to understand all that God has to say about marriage. And I thought, well, it's important that we realize that marriage in its very essence is actually a gift from God. You know, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, you may remember, if you were with us, turn to 1 Corinthians. We read this together. If you were with us when we were going through the book of Corinthians, it was 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. We saw that the Apostle Paul, Pastor Paul, was called to outline the principles of marriage. This is also speaking of the covenant because he says, how I wish others would be like me. Paul was saying single, single-minded, focused in the Lord. And on the Lord, right? Speaking of that, that covenant between a single and Jesus, but also for the married couple, okay? And so he goes, and right in verse 7, he says, For I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own, please see that in your Bibles, underline that, gift from God. One in this manner and another in that. He's speaking to marriage, if you read that in context in Good Hermeneutics. He's speaking to marriage, that marriage is a gift. There are some that are meant to live a life of singleness, and God has called them to that, and they've been gifted for that, and they have no desire or lust after anything that would cause them to walk contrary to that. Now, there's others that have been given the gift of marriage, and they are to be wed and to live a life in marriage in fidelity to Jesus Christ and to the spouse that God has drawn them to for life. And that's what God has ordained. Now, the institution of marriage is one of God's gifts, when you, again, think about it, that has survived the curse. Please remember back to Genesis chapter 3 in the fall and the carnality of man, right? Please remember before that what happened. You can turn to your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, verse 22, and you'll see that this was the very first ceremony that God presented with Adam and Eve. Well, Eve was not on the scene at that point. You remember Adam took the rib from the man, and from that, she was not created from the dust as Adam was created, but from man that way, that they would become one. And that's the very first ceremony. Now, men, aren't you grateful that God doesn't turn around and knock us out? anesthesia or whatever, and rip a rib out of your side, right? How about it? I'm, I'm pretty thankful that that has been done, and we understand the order and institution of marriage that way. But it is important that we see how God began this, so we, that we have a good, solid foundation for a biblical understanding of marriage according to Scripture. God declared it not good for Adam, 
He was the first man, as many of you know, to live alone. There were animals all around him. He, he clearly said, but there were none that would be a suitable partner for Adam. You can read back Genesis chapters 1 through 3 to recount that. But as he was looking around, you remember Adam was sort of, I don't want to use the word lonely, because certainly there were tons of animals around him. He was naming them. He was interacting with them. He was called to care and have dominion over the garden. But no one was suitable to be his equal. Because Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 says that I have created them male and female in the image of God. So everything that we read about marriage in regard to office, if I can say it that way, role, responsibility, has nothing to do with who's better, who's more supreme, or who's more responsible. None of that. There's too much of that being going on where, again, it's all divisive. It's all division, right? How I can trump over this or I can trump over that in an attempt to belittle someone or, as Jesus said in Revelation, to be Nicolaitans, to lord over people. That was never God's design. He created the male and female in the image of God. And then just a few verses later from that, chapter 2, verse 25, you may remember that God calls this creation that he takes out of the side of man, woman, and brings her to Adam and begins and ordains the very first marriage that you and I have in our Bible and the decree of what marriage is. And from that, we move a couple verses to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, as God had ordained and established that first marriage. He says, a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So there's a spiritual transaction that takes place as part of that commandment and covenant as well. And, and it's not talked about a lot today. What is this one fleshness, right, this idea behind that? And, and the passage of Scripture gives us several points of understanding. If you, if you just listen, and I'll read it again, if you want to turn there, chapter 2, verse 24, and look at it with your own eyes. A man leaves his father and mother, is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So what do we learn from this single verse, this passage? First, identity. Marriage involves one man and one woman. We don't get to play gender roles. We don't get to redefine that. This is God's definition as the creator and sovereign God of the universe. One man and one woman. Interestingly, the Hebrew word for wife is gender specific. It's not a term that could be used to say, well, no, he meant in a pronoun a different gender. No, you can't do that in the Hebrew. I'm so thankful for the Hebrew as well as the Greek because it cannot be manipulated by man or intellect or even the human language. It's very specific. It cannot mean anything other than woman. There's no passage in Scripture that mentions marriage involving anything other than a man and a woman. You can read your whole Bible, all 66 books. You will not find a single pronoun or descriptor given to God's ordinance of marriage other than one man and one woman becoming what again? One flesh. It's very important. The second principle that we learn in Genesis 2 about God's design for marriage is that marriage is intended to be a lifetime. A lifetime. Verse 24 said that they become what again? One flesh. 
That's significant, right? I mean, literally, Eve was taken from Adam's side. She was literally became one flesh with Adam. There's no other way to explain that. Her very substance was formed from Adam instead of from the ground. Every marriage thereafter is intended to reflect what Adam and Eve shared in this union that God has established that way. And it's beautiful. You know, we can read in multiple passages, uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, Matthew chapter 19, verse 5, if you're taking notes, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, and they shouldn't be taken lightly, but these prescriptions for marriage describe our understanding of God, God's given ordinance. So when a man and a woman make a commitment to marry, they become one flesh for life. That is why often at a Christian marriage ceremony, the pastor will stand up and say, till death do you what? Part. That's why that is orated. That is why that is spoken. Now, I want to speak to your hearts for a minute. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. I want to speak to your hearts for a moment here. I know there are some here this morning where, unfortunately, because of one's spouse's um, infidelity or physical abuse or abandonment, they, they find themselves separated or, or no longer married. Please understand that that's not God's design. When he created marriage in the garden, there was no sin. That was not God's design behind that. Since then, we know that there's been carnality and these things that have come forward to disrupt God's design for a beautiful marriage. I can't think of too many things in the family that are attacked as much as marriage is. It's interesting, in recent years, we have seen the divorce rate decline, actually. People don't talk about that as a good thing. But we have also seen less people becoming married and instead living together, which isn't biblical, having sexual relations outside of marriage, which, again, isn't biblical. And so, yes, the divorce rate is declining, but at the same time, that's because they've forsaken the institution of marriage, which God has given as a gift. Didn't we read that in 1 Corinthians 7, 7? It's a gift from God. When somebody wants to give you a gift, do you run the other direction? Or is your hand out to embrace the gift that they want to give you? I just want you to think about that. If somebody came to you, I have a gift for you today, you would open arms. All right, give it to me. You're not going to, no way, man, I don't want this. But isn't that what we see being done with marriage today? If there's somebody here this morning, if, if, if you're living a life and you're, you're living together or you're in sexual sin, and, you're, well, I've been together with this person for a number of years, you know, God doesn't mind. You know. Brother or sister, what are you waiting for? If you're both believers in Jesus Christ, come to my office afterwards. I'll marry you right on the spot. As long as I know you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ and you love the Lord... Why would you let sin ruminate in what God has designed to give you as a wonderful gift, an ordinance, a command, a, a beautiful matrimony there, a gift of marriage? But that, again, when we see 
infidelity or physical abuse or abandonment. That was not God's design. And if you're sitting here and you're married or remarried and you're, Lord, did I screw up? Is this, no, please, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1, please lay that to rest right now. That's not what God is desiring for your heart. But I want to caveat that, right? God, God is for you and not against you. I want to caveat that in one thing that, that God does not permit divorce for what is a very often used term today by attorneys and lawyers and what is that term? Um, irreconcilable differences. You've heard that. What does that mean? It means that I don't get along at the moment because of a certain situation. You ask my wife. I bet you she'll tell you 90% of the time she has an irreconcilable difference with me, right? I'm not cleaning up the clothes on my side of the bed, right? I didn't get home and warm up dinner in time or something. I'm, I've got a lot of irreconcilable differences I'm sure she has with me. I have none with her. You know, she takes amazing care. No, I don't. She takes amazing care of me, man. I'm not going to lie. Dinners, I mean, I, I've, I married up. I, I married up. I married up. A good woman is right. My poor wife, all of you pray for her often. I know you do. The strange thing is all you agree here. You're shaking. <laughs> I'm working through that. I might need some counseling after this. No. Uh, thank you. That leads me to the third principle, though, in this passage that we're reading here this morning. And what's the third one? One flesh. We said, till death do us part. What's that also imply? One flesh. Not two fleshes. Not three, one flesh. What does that speak to? Monogamy. Monogamy, doesn't it? That's what God's design is for marriage. The Hebrew word for man and wife are singular. They're singular. They, they don't include, they're not plural. It's not wives or husbands. Now, I understand that there's cults out, like, out there like the Mormon and different cults like that that, that teach this, but, and they'll use examples in Scripture. Well, there was, you know, kings like David or Solomon that had multiple wives and husbands. How'd that work for them, by the way? Yeah, I'm blessed with one wife, and I don't desire anything different. Men, you know what I... You're with me, right? All right? Women, you're, you're with me. You understand the ordinance. One man, one woman. Monogamy is important. And yes, there are examples, but that does not mean, please understand in your scriptures, we have a lot of examples, Ecclesiastes, of where Solomon's opining through the Spirit of the Lord on his wisdom, the most wisdom that any man has ever been given on this earth. And he goes through and he, and he describes the sorrow or the lamentations or the, the difficulties with things that he's experiencing are all those ordinances from God, commandments and statutes, to be that way? No, what he's describing is genuine realness of how he's sorrowful, even with all of his intellect. But it's recorded for us that we may learn from that. It's not an ingredient that God is asking us to ascertain. That's the same thing with monogamy. Just because we see examples of it in Scripture... God had desired. He even told the kings, you are not to have, do you remember that? We are covering that in the Old Testament. You were not to have chariots and multiple wives. You were not to do these things. Why? Because he knew that that would draw them from God into idolatry. And isn't that exactly what happened to Solomon? Yes. So these are good, not only warnings, but this is just a good father in heaven, Abba Father, who's looking to care for his children in a beautiful design. 
but it's one man and one woman. That's what God designed. Uh, Jesus emphasized this very principle when he appealed in the book um, of Matthew, chapter 19, verses 4 through 6, when he went back and they were asking him about marriage, he went to the Genesis account, right? He went back to counter the idea of an easy divorce. And again, it should come as no surprise today, you know, that the world desires to change what God has instituted as his marriage, his idea of marriage. I think of Romans chapter 8, verse 7. You can turn there quickly. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. That's the very understanding of carnality and depravity, to be transparent with you. This describes the carnality and humanity before us. You see, the clear definition of marriage is a union, one man, one woman for life. On June 26, 2015, the United States Supreme Court issued a ruling legalizing gay marriage five years ago, right, almost, right? June would, well, June 2020 actually made five years, five years ago. It seems so long ago, doesn't it? But it was five years ago. And look what a slippery slope that's become. Look what's happened to our culture. Look what's happened. It's heartbreaking. In July of 2013, the Queen of England, okay, even earlier than the Americas, signed into law the marriage bill, which allows same-sex couples to marry legally. Around the world, at least 15 other nations have legalized marriage between same-sex partners. Obviously, the societal definition of marriage, according to the legal statutes of the land, is changing. But that's not where I draw my definitions from. That's not where I draw my understandings from. What I think, what I understand and know is from the Word of God only. That is where I, I live and breathe. That is where I understand my identity and my response to the one living true God. It doesn't change because the culture. It doesn't change to suit my disposition. No. Though the world is attempting to provide their own definition for what they call marriage, the Bible still stands. I, I pray that you're all there with me this morning, that the Bible and Jesus is preeminent. God is the ancient of days, as we read in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. That means he's always existed. He is unchanging. The word of God never passes away. That means the word that you have in, for, in front of you is God-breathed and given by the Lord and will never expire. It's not a carton of milk that has an expiration date. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. And Matthew chapter 24, verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away. Speaking of revelation, the new heavens and the new earth. Heaven and earth will pass away. We will receive a new heaven, a new earth, right? As we read in Revelation 21 and latter. After that, 22. But my words will by no means pass away. This is Jesus speaking this to us, telling us that his words don't expire, that his definition, that his commandments, statutes, and judgments never expire. That should get our attention today because there are absolutes. 
While the world is trying to convince you of relativism, you know, the idea of, well, it's relative, what works for me works for you, gray, that's not biblical. No, they're absolutes. It's fine when we go to the principles and the laws of nature, laws of physics, gravity. If somebody said, well, I'm going to jump up and I'm going to touch the moon, somebody would look at you and say, what? There are laws of physics and gravity. What are you talking about? There are laws that God has ordained and placed in for our understanding, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. And we have those things for us. But when it comes to God's commandments and statutes for our lives, well, he doesn't really mean that. As though all of a sudden God gets grammatically challenged. I say this in love. I really do. I say this in love because we're living in the last days. And people need to understand that no matter what the definition changes in the world around you, you have to make a choice. You're either for God or you're against him. There is no gray. There is no gray, friends. No matter how much you love someone, you are never to compromise. It's always the fullness of truth and the fullness of love. It's not a balancing or a juggling act. Jesus did both perfectly. And you and I, born-again believers in Christ, are being conformed into the likeness and image of God. We are being transformed, as we read in the New Testament scriptures. God is doing the work. We call it sanctification. He does the work in us. We simply have to be willing to let go. It's a control. It's a control. Therefore, we need to hold fast to the truth, regardless, again, of the culture norms, again, the carnality, the depravity, and the things that we see today. Um, now that we have a solid understanding of marriage and the biblical uh, text on marriage, everybody good? You're tracking this morning? Now we can go to verse 22 line by line and verse by verse because now we know what God has ordained. And even for our singles or those that are not married, please understand that commitment, that desire to keep holy, separate that way, unto the Lord Jesus Christ. God has given you that covenant relationship, and it doesn't expire because you're single either. It's that same call for holiness, just as a spouse in their marriage covenant is the same unto the Lord, that holiness between Jesus Christ and yourself. That's what God desires for you. So let's read verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Wait a minute. Everybody's like, I was good until we got there. Submit. Wait a minute. That's all bad word, right? Submit to your own husbands. Please underline your own husbands. As to the Lord, please underline that part. For the husband is the head of the wife. And everybody was doing great this morning. And all of a sudden, that word head. Christ is the head of church, and he is the savior of the body. Submit. Hupatasso in the Greek. Hupatasso. Some of you are going, did he really mean hupatasso? He meant hupatasso. It's Greek. But there's some important aspects of this word, submission. It connotes a willingness. It is not a forced submission. It cannot be forced. It cannot be demanded of. Christ has laid the foundation. He's established it. It's a requirement. It's a required course, ladies. Not an elective but it's not something that can be coerced or coerced by, by your spouse or somebody else to go, you need to submit to me. You need to respect me. No, no, no. Husbands, 
Go to your knees in prayer. Go to your knees in prayer. It means a willful, not forvorced subjection. Again, remember, this is all pointing to Jesus. These are all training grounds, our marriage. All training grounds unto the one living God. And it's not just an obedience. That You know, it's interesting that six-letter word creates such a foul taste in the mouth of so many today, right? Because of the abuse and misapplication of this command. Nevertheless, we have to remember it's, it's not a suggestion. And guys, don't get too smiling and wide-eyed here and paying attention because, oh, by the way, we're called to the very same thing. You know, I always chuckle when uh, inside, I don't openly chuckle during a marriage counseling, when I have two people coming in and they're, you know, they're certainly wanting to talk about their marriage. Some of you are going, wait a minute, I've met with him. Is he really laughing the whole time? No, no, not at you. But as we go through, you know, the counseling, a wife will often turn to me and say, do I have to? Really? Do, do I have to? But I don't want to. And I immediately think of my children when they were younger at home going, I don't want to eat my vegetables. And I just begin to chuckle. But can I share it in a different way for you this morning? How can you submit to him, Jesus Christ? Pronouns are important which is not seen with human eyes, the unseen God. If you can't submit to him, lowercase h, your husband, which stands directly in front of you, how can you submit to the unseen God if you can't submit to even he who stands before you? Maybe that's a different way of thinking of it. The man that God has placed as a covering for you. Let me ask another question. Is there any lady here that you're with your husband, you're in bed, you're half asleep, and all of a sudden you hear a weird sound in the night? Ladies, you're awakened. Sometimes, guys, we wake up a little slower, right? They, they hear it, they, and what do we get? The, the elbow, the nudge. Hey, yeah, what's going on? Did you hear that? Apparently not. Apparently not. Okay. Um, what do you want me to do about it? Right? It's, that's the, you're just waking up. What do we do about this? I heard something. Now, ladies, what do you expect the pastor of the home, the man that God has placed as a covering over you to, to be there? What do you expect him to do? To get his butt out of bed and to go investigate what that bump was in the night right? You just pray it's not multiple times a night and not multiple times a week, guys. How about it, right? But nonetheless, that's our duty. That's our responsibility and a privilege to be in that place to love and protect our wives. Now, what would you think, ladies, if your husband turned to you, I've done this, by the way, and said, honey, I didn't hear anything. Can't you just go turn the light on? If you see something, call me and I'll come out Rambo. I'm happy to come out Rambo. It's not too late. And my loving wife just looks at me. And I know that means get your butt out of bed. I don't care about your toesies. And what do I do? I get out of bed, and I'm prepared for whatever the Lord might have at that moment with God's leading and protection. 
But ladies, how would you feel about that? If, if your husband said, no, 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 that's not my job. That's not something I'm called to do. Would you feel safe and protected? Would you feel like you have an actual covering over you? Or would you feel like you're being the covering? It doesn't go both ways. God has called us men to be that covering and to protect ladies that way. Specifically, our wives, okay, and the submission is specifically to your husbands, not every man that you see on the street. If he comes up to you and says, hey, you know, you don't go, oh, the, the Bible tells me to submit. Oh, because there's, there's cults that teach that. That's not what this says. This is to your own husband. That's why I had you underline that. Very important. That's prescriptive. That, you know, ring fences it or gives boundaries to this command in context. But ladies, we can't have, you, you can't have it both ways. You want the covering, but then there must be submission into that for leading. Some of you ladies are like, I, you know, I liked Pastor Matt, and then all of a sudden, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I just don't like this guy anymore. Well, that's fine. But this is what Jesus wants for you and desires because he wants to protect you and he wants to take that weight off of you instead of having you feel like you have to be in survival mode all the time and be in control all the time. He wants to come alongside you and bless you in this. Now, I understand there are men that are carnal and they will take this and do terrible things. So I want to be very clear here that please understand, wives, submit your own husbands as to the Lord. Do you see that in your scripture in verse 22? As to the Lord. Christ is in context here. That means that it's not your husband coming to you and telling you, I want you to do this, and it's unbiblical, and you are to obey that. No. That's not what this says. I once had a couple come to me and say, I'm having some problems in my marriage. I don't know that I'm fulfilling all that my husband would like me to be uh, in, in, in certain aspects of our marriage. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, well, she said specifically, he's quoting the passage, the marriage bed is undefiled. And I said, yes, that, you know, 1 Corinthians 7, you're not to withhold yourself. You guys are, you know, one flesh. Your body belongs to his. His body belongs to you. One flesh. When you're married, these are very important biblical ordinances. Yes. Well, he said that, you know, that he would like multiple partners in the bed. And he's using that text. And she said, I go back to this passage in chapter 5 and verse 22, and I think that because it says submit that I'm to do that. And I said, unto the Lord, would God have you redefine marriage, monogamy? Would God have you turn around and have multiple partners? And do this? Absolutely not. That's unbiblical. And you think, some of you are looking surprised, like I see your, your faces, you're surprised that, yes, these things happen. And the answer is, if you hear that, ladies, you turn around and sock them. Yeah. You turn around and you look at them and said, why are you asking me, a daughter of the God Most High, to do something that would separate my relationship with Jesus Christ? Jesus comes first, then you, sir, and then our children. And you would never ask me if you truly loved me to do anything that would distance my love and my relationship with Jesus Christ. And young ladies, 
If you're in a relationship and a, a boy tries to make advances or convince you of things that are not in the word of God, and he's saying, well, if you want to get married, you know, you, you should learn how to submit and you need to learn these things. And he's asking you to do things that would be, you know, fornication or things that are outside of marriage. Ladies, get away. He doesn't love you. He loves himself more than he loves Jesus. Because if he loves Jesus and he was preeminent, he would put you in the place you belong as the daughter of the living God. And he would see you as Jesus sees you, the very apple of his eye. And oh, by the way, because of the days we're living, men, it goes both ways. If a lady comes and aggressively tries to, you know, push you in those matters, you stand in the gap. You stand for Christ. Especially if you're looking to marry, you're going to be the pastor of the home. We're going to read, you're to wash her mind with the word of God to bring holiness into the home. Beauty, holiness. Not to entangle her in worldly sin and draw those things into your house. God forbid it. The Peter Pan syndrome needs to die. Men need to be men today especially in these last days, when it's so easy to look the other way and compromise. Men need to stand in the gap today more than they ever have in the past. Our young people are, are going to the, these colleges and the, the, you know when, when elections occur and things are happening and they don't get the person that they elected, what are they doing? They're crying and they, they're bringing coloring books to them. Why? Because we failed them in the home. We failed them in the home. Men, we need to stand up with the strength of Christ. We need to pastor our homes. We need to submit to Jesus Christ to be an example to the ladies in our lives. That they know that we would never put them in harm's way or we would never ask them to do something that would be unbiblical or ungodly and filthy and dirty. That's that's not God's idea here. Now, submission, as I mentioned, is to be willing and in Christ. In context, submission is being described here not as, not to, again, to every other man, but to one man, the man that God has brought you, the covering he's brought you. Again, this isn't a license to to abuse marriage or the relationships in marriage. Christ isn't calling you to stand in a marriage where you're being physically beaten. If that's happening, and I need to talk about that, because there are times we've had that in this fellowship where we've heard of things like that and we, we need to step in. If that's happening, God is not calling you to stay in your marriage while you are being physically abused. Get out Call the church for pastoral counseling. We'll try to provide help. He's not asking you to stay in your marriage to be physically abused that way. There may be a time of separation required for counseling and marriage counseling to go through and help the husband and the wife understand. And that goes both ways again in the days we're living, whether it's the male being abused or the female. It's not just an open license because of submission that you can do whatever you want, however you want. That's not what is implied in this text. 
We see the word submission in Scripture used in several different places in different contexts. I thought I would share a couple of God's ideas on the biblical principle of submission here for a minute. Luke chapter 2, verse 51. Jesus submitted to his parents. Just think about that for a minute. God, the God-man, submitted to his earthly parents as an example of what our children are to do. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. I'm going to go through a bunch of scriptures, so you may not be able to turn to them all. I encourage you to listen later, and you can write these and study these devotionally. Demons submitted to the disciples. Romans chapter 13, verse 1 and 5. Titus chapter 3, verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Citizens, Americans, we are to submit to the government authority until what? It contradicts the word of God or puts us in danger via our health. It's going to come up. Pastor, where do you stand on forced vaccinations? I don't find that anywhere in Scripture where my submission to government is a requirement when someone's going to do potential harm. Now, there's also good in vaccines. There are good things about vaccinations, right? We don't want to just dismiss all of it. But if something isn't properly tested and to use my child or my wife as a guinea pig, not going to happen. Not going to happen. So what's that mean? Well, I'm the covering. I'm the pastor of the home, and Jesus is my covering. So until it violates scripture, I will do that. When we first had the outbreak of the COVID, nobody knew the danger of it. We shut down for a period of weeks. I think it was up to two months, and we were online only. And that was important because my calling as an under-shepherd, as a pastor, is to lead, feed, and protect. And we didn't know what it was going to do, everything that we were seeing, the numbers, it looked pretty grave. Not that it's not grave, right? One person dying is grave. But we started to understand more about this and started to see some of the antivirals and some of the things that were coming out and knew that, you know, there's some precautions we could take to protect ourselves. But God isn't calling us to do something, an authority to harm ourselves or someone else. No different than if somebody comes to you and says, uh, my, my spouse or my, you know, uh, they're getting older and they'd ask me to help perform a euthanasia. That's murder. That's sin. And it, don't put it past our government, by the way, to do that. When they kill the unborn child, you think they're going to stop there? Please be awake. Please be aware of the days we're living. It's hitting both sides of the spectrum the elderly as well as the young. We need to be wise. That's not okay. That's murder. You and I don't create life, and we don't withhold life in our hands. Jesus does. He's the author and finisher of the work. And he didn't ask my opinion. He didn't ask my opinion. So we're to submit to government authority? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, in the first century, Christians were well known for paying their taxes on time. If you go and study early church history, they were noted for being outstanding citizens. Even better than many of the Romans. The Romans would often, 
look back and go, why can't you be more like the Christians when it comes to following, except when it came to the emperor's cult, which was the idea of emperor worship? No, we would take a stand. We wouldn't bow our knee to a false god or man, even if it meant martyrdom. That's what your Bible teaches. But we're not to seek it. We're not to seek it either. Everyone will submit to Jesus. We see that word submission, 1 Corinthians 15, 27, and Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. Unseen spiritual beings submit to Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22. The church God's precious bride should submit to Jesus. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 24. Christians should submit to God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9, and James chapter 4, verse 7. Christian submission to church leaders in spiritual matters and church matters. Please notice that. It's not an open, your pastor can't come up to you and say, hey, at your job, I heard you were asked to work overtime and we could use help here. Where are you at? No, there's no place for that. That's, there's no place for a pastor to reach in like that. If it, is, if it infects spiritual matters or the church and the bride of Christ, then yes. And for the text on that, you can see 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, and Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. You know, you can read Zechariah, and it speaks about in the latter days, I believe the days we're living, that pastors will eventually leave and just abandon the sheep, and they're going to be scattered because they were in it for themselves the whole time. It wasn't about the flock. It wasn't about leading, feeding, protecting. It was about them and what was good for them. That breaks my heart. I pray to God to strength that I never waver and God's calling for my life or the pastors that God has raised up here that they never waver there there are times we look there are going to be times where even as pastors we're not going to like what we do we're going to disagree but we don't get the option for the sake of the saints there's accountability and responsibility and you deserve nothing less. Nothing less. Wives, we just read it in context, should submit to their husbands, right? Colossians 3.18, their own husband. Titus 2.5, 1 Peter 3.5, Ephesians, the passage we're in now, 5.22-24. We read in Titus 2.9 and 1 Peter 2.18, and I, I'm glad this is recorded for us, but the submission to masters. Why? What are we? Dulos, bond servants. We are servants to the living God, but willing servants, that's what that means. Freely given, blood bought, freely given over to Christ that way. But in our passage, if we keep good hermeneutics and therefore we stay in context, Paul through direct revelation is sharing that it is men to be the covering because look at the next word he uses here. For the well, he says, we submit our own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head. Circle that in your Bible. What is this idea of headship or head, right? 
He's the pastor of the home. He's, he's the one to provide biblical guidance, leadership, authority. That's what's conveyed by this term. It's, it's kafale, kafale in the Greek. It's one providing authority or direction. Look at 1 Corinthians 11.3 in your Bible, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. God sets the order in office. This has got nothing to do with challenging of equality. Who is more equal? God has already said male and female are equal in the sight of God. Please do not let anybody try to tell you differently. That's a contradiction of Scripture. This is role responsibility, right? We all have different responsibilities, just as you do at your office. You go into a job, you are not the CEO every day. You may be a CEO for a day, or maybe you are the CEO every day, but you all have different responsibilities. You might be clerical, you might be law enforcement, you might be a nurse, or you have a responsibility, or a teacher, right? Everybody's got responsibilities. Offices, if you try to do somebody else's job, who's doing yours? And will it all get done? Absolutely not. So look at 1 Corinthians 11.3. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. This is the roles he set up. This is the office and sort of the hierarchy, if I can say it that way. Again, not speaking to equality. The head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. Even God says, Jesus, you know, he comes back. He says, my head, the Father, the Godhead. Yes, now, my question for you is, is Jesus less, less of God than the Father? Is the Holy Spirit less of God than the Son? No, but they all have different roles and responsibilities. The son, what does the Holy Spirit do? Testify to Jesus as the only true Son of God, right? Jesus Christ, the God-man. What does Jesus testify of when he came to earth? He says, I did not come to do my will, but the will of the Father. Each member of the Trinity, the triune there, each member has a responsibility and a role that they play within the Trinity. And it's a good example because it's a perfect example that God just gave us because there's no difference in equality. You don't look at Jesus and go, you're less of a God than the Father, the Godhead. You would never do that. It would be blasphemy. Well, no different. This is not about equality. This is a responsibility, role. So he's, he's saying, look, but I want you to know that the, the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. And men, please understand, you will stand before Jesus and give an account on this. Did you take your role responsibly? Did you care for your wife? Did you protect her? Did you lead her, feed her? I don't just mean food. I mean the word of God, the biblical bread of life. You will answer for this. We all have that responsibility. We will answer for this. Look at Colossians. Go back past the book of Ephesians and, and go to Colossians, please. Chapter 3, look at verse 18. Wives, submit to your own husbands as fitting in the Lord. He draws it here for you. Paul the apostle, Pastor Paul, helps you understand that it is fitting for the Lord. You're doing this unto Christ. Because some of you are going, my husband doesn't deserve it. I don't deserve it in my home. I, deserve, I, deserve, I don't deserve a single thing for the way my wife shows kindness to me. Look, I'm not saying we have, you know, it's not a, a perfect, you know, you come in, leave it to beaver kind of marriage thing. I, I'm not trying to paint a picture here that's inaccurate, but I want you to understand that I know I deserve nothing. 
Wives, submit to your own husband as fitting in the Lord. Husband, love your wives, and do not be bitter toward them. These are God's commandments and statutes. Turn to 1 Peter, please. Keep going to your right. 1 Peter, we'll move from the Apostle Paul's writings, when we move to the, from the Pauline epistles and writings to Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, look at verse 1. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, even if you have husbands that are not being faithful to the word of God, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Often we've had situations where wives come in for counseling. Their husbands maybe aren't believers. They got married before the wife was born again or something like that. And they come in and and they're saying, what do we do? I want my husband to know Jesus. I want my husband to have the joy I have. And I say, live it out in your marriage. It's really hard, Pastor. He, He speaks terribly to me. He wants, you know, the things that are on the TV, you know, the things that are going on. I often bring the 1 Corinthians 7 when it says, oh, wife. How do you know whether you will be the one that will save your husband? Or, oh, husband, how do you know whether you will be the one that saves your wife? Because you stay, oh, wives, your children are holy, it says. 1 Corinthians 7. But look at what it says here. For without a word, they may be won by the conducts of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear to the Lord, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging of the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is the very precious, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner and four times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. That's an amazing word from the Lord. That Did you understand that, that wives, you actually are living epistles in your home? That if you have an unbelieving husband or a believing husband but is not acting appropriately or acting that way, that you are actually drawing them closer to Christ by your conduct? I think that's amazing how God works in the hearts and minds of his children. There's always a plan and purpose of God. You know? Why do you like chess? God's a chess master. His timing and the way he aligns everything is so perfect. Even when Jesus was on the earth, he would often sometimes delay or go over here and he would go over there. And yet he made it to the cross at the perfect time, right on Passover, and he knew it all along. He wasn't fretting. He didn't have anxiety of, I hope I'm not late. I'm going to help this woman. The woman's going to touch me. She needs healing, this man or this child. God was perfectly in every place at the right time, and he works that way in us if we allow him to, even if we can't see it. Hmm. In verse 23, please notice it says, Christ is the head of the church and the Savior of the body. Does anybody here dispute that? Does anybody dispute that? Of course not. Anybody here hunt? You guys like to hunt? Any guys, gals, hunt, hunters? Somebody shaking their head? Let me ask you a question. How well does an animal survive? 
if it loses its head. Not so good, right? Not so good, not well. I want you to think about this. This principle applies to the church. We see churches across America without Jesus Christ as the head of the church. And men begin to teach all kinds of doctrine and just ridiculousness because they want to what? Grow the church? Last I check in Acts chapter 2, it's God that adds to the church daily. A man doesn't have a single thing to do with that. The pastor's responsibility, lead, feed, protect, teach the word of God. Ephesians chapter 4, equipping saints for the work of the ministry. God has made it very simple, our calling, under shepherds, under rowers. He's given every one of us here a gospel of what? We read it in first, or Second Corinthians. What was it again? A gospel of reconciliation. Every one of us has good news to bear and give, not just keep to ourselves. But we must have a head. Jesus is the head. Nobody, nobody would question that in a, in a true church. I want you to think back to Revelation in chapters 2 and 3. God had a whole lot to say about that, Jesus, didn't he? There's only one church he brings praise to, and that's the church of Philadelphia because they were you know, of little strength, but in spite of their little strength, they put Jesus Christ at the head. We don't read how good the pastor was, whether he was on spot, on the mark every time. We don't read about the fellowship of all the saints where they were, man, these saints were like, not like the saints of Ephesus, not like the saints over here. You know what? They loved Jesus. They didn't leave their first love. Nobody loses Jesus. You can't lose God, but you can leave him. And they get caught up in so many works and so many things that they left the preeminence of God being number one. We actually think, in our, I actually think, in my opinion or ability, that I have something to say or do about that. That when I don't like something that I'm seeing around me, that I'm the agent of change. What pride and hypocrisy. How dare I have a thought like that? That's not scriptural. I am to be submitted to Christ. He is the head of the church. How dare I have an original thought? But yet we see it. We see infighting in churches today between the bride of Christ, between pastors. There's no time for that. There's no place for that. Everyone needs to submit to Jesus. If we all submit to Jesus, we'll have the right thought, the right mind. Now, apply that to the home the same way. The animal isn't good without the head. The church is not good without the head, Jesus Christ. The home is not good without the pastor of the home being responsible and leading with authority in the home, teaching the word of God in the home to the wife and the children in all submission and reverence to Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask a question. Men, how many of you who are married here read to your wife every day for, I'm just saying, 20 minutes, 15 minutes? You spend more time eating in a day. How many of you have, on a daily basis, read to your wife the word of God? I'm not trying to convict anybody. I'm trying to make us aware of all the other priorities that come into our life and challenge us for our time, and we end up being so busy doing these works and this stuff that our very first ministry that God has laid before us, we neglect. Notice I said we. I didn't say you. 
every one of us, if we're not careful, that happens. That's important. You know, we want to stock up on food. We want to do these things. We go shopping. We want to make sure our kids have clothes the way. We want to do all these things. But if we're not reading to our wives, we're not washing their minds in the word of God. We're not allowing Jesus Christ to renew them day by day. And ladies that are single or not wed, well, wait a minute, how does this apply to me? Because what should you be doing every day? Who is your head again? Jesus. You should be allowing him to wash your minds in your home by reading his word and letting him whisper his love unto you in his still small voice. Don't rob yourself of the gift God wants to give you. That intimacy and time, you're wed to Christ. And ladies that are looking to be married, please don't settle. Don't settle for God's second best. I see that so often today, our young people. They're either running out, shacking up. They're either engaging in fornication. They're doing all these things. And it's not for a lack of knowing the word. It's not for a lack of love of the word of God. It's just idolatry placing their own opinions above the truth of God. And if we're not careful, every one of us in here, before we think we've arrived, have done that very same thing. Maybe you didn't go out and shack up, but maybe there was something that God was tugging on your heart, or my heart. And I said, well, Lord, I know what you teach, but I feel this way. Anything between your soul and God is what again? Idolatry. This isn't me being legalistic. This is us understanding God's expectation for his children, whom he loved and died for, that we would be redeemed, justified, and brought into right reconciliation and relationship forever. We, we focus so much on the short and it's in preparation for the eternity of the long. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And to the married, I ask, how is your marriage functioning with a spouse or without a husband who's not fulfilling his role and obligation? The God-ordained office of marriage. Not well, probably. Does, is the Lord calling you to nag him to do that? Ladies, is that, is that what you think the answer is, to maybe nag your husband? Do you think that's going to work well? What did we just learn, guys, from the very beginning of this passage? Submission is what? A willingness. Free will willingness to do this. It can't be coerced or fought. Look at verse 24, and we'll stop here today. Next week, guys, make sure you're here. Ladies, come back, because we're going to be going through the section on men. Oh, yeah. Ladies are like, I see the smiles of the ladies. All of a sudden, a couple ladies are like, yeah, wait a minute now. Ladies, hang on now. Therefore, and this is where Paul closes it out for the ladies section here in this passage. Therefore, because of this, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands. Please see that. In everything, providing that everything is not contradicting scripture, okay, Paul relates the principle that 
with application here. He gives application now and follows this up with this call to action, right? You can turn, if you want, to Titus chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. It says that they may admonish the young women to love their husbands. That's what our older are, our more wise women. The older women, likewise, that they, be, that they are reverent in their behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. Wait a minute. You mean women need to be taught to do that? You mean there's just, it's just not just a nature inside of us that just wants to wake up every day and do that? No. Ladies, you struggle with the carnality just like the men do, right? We all struggle with that. It's, it's not a gender-specific fight. It's a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6. It's a battle of the mind, not of flesh and blood. It's a battle of the mind. Intellectualism is the death of most people because they begin to actually think they know more than they ought. Paul said it clearly. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Boy, I can't tell you how many times God's had to two-by for me in love because I reasoned or logically thought about something. But I didn't see God in the center of it. I share these things, not just so you don't worry about your pastor and go, oh man, what's he doing? But I share this because now you know how to pray for me. And I pray for you. And we, we, we pray for each other in that. Hmm. In verse 24, back in Ephesians, if, if Paul would have stopped there, it would be easy for the Christian wife to feel like all the obligation was on her, right? It would be easy to, oh, great. The guy would be like, yeah. No. Thankfully, he continues to show that what the obligations of the Christian husband has for marriage. You got to come back next week for that. We'll go through that. And we'll look at that with great detail, husbands. Bring your notebooks. Great detail. We're going to go in depth. But the Christian wife still has her obligations. I'd like to go over four of them again for everybody here this morning, if you're taking notes. Four things, ladies, that God is calling us. So much more in those passages, but four, if I could boil it down for that. Both husband and wife are called to die to self. We'll we'll read that, husbands, as we go into that next week. Submission is the way a wife is called to live biblically. Both husband and wife are called to sacrifice. Submission is the way a wife is called to live that out biblically. Both husband and wife are called to see their marriage as a model of Jesus with the relationship with the church. We read that in that passage of verse 24. Wives, submission is how the wife honors that model. And fourth, both husband and wife are called to honor the order of creation. Submission is the way a wife fulfills her place in that order. Amen? Ladies, you are the daughter of the God Most High. Accept nothing less. Men, love your wives. Be living epistles. Ladies, love your husbands. Be living epistles. Widows, singles, love Jesus. You are wed to a better man. Let's stand and pray. Sobering passages, but good passages for us to study. Father, as you have overheard, Lord, as we recognize, you are sovereign. Jesus, we pray your will be done.
on earth as it is in heaven. You would guide and lead every one of our footsteps here. I pray for all those in attendance this morning and those in their homes and across the way in the cafe there, Lord, watching. God, I pray that you would be at the center of these marriages. I pray for the, Lord, for the gift of marriage. Lord, I pray for the gift of singleness as well. That in, in that life, Lord, that they too are wed to you, Jesus, perfectly, holy and set apart. God, if we both, husband and wives, live selfless life instead of selfish lives, how we will be a witness and a testimony to a lost and dying world. Protect our marriages, Jesus. Protect us in this day. We ask this for your glory and honor, Lord, that we would be faithful ambassadors and witnesses. God, we know the best is yet to come, and we are full of hope because of it. We look to you, Jesus, as our model. We pray this in your holy name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people prayed. Amen. God bless you. I love you. Don't forget today, we're having a day of fasting and prayer at the church after service and throughout the rest of the day. You are welcome to, to hang around and find areas of the church outside on the grounds to be praying if the Lord should lead you and to fast with us just to see God for our country, interceding for each other and for our marriages and for our singles. Amen. I love you all. God bless you.